Thanks for tuning in to the Curator's Cup podcast, a podcast where creators tell their stories. This podcast is made possible by Timbrook Coffee Group. From the coffee professional to the coffee lover, find out how Timbrook Coffee Group can help you make better coffee. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Barn for another episode of the Curator's Cup podcast. My name is Trent. I'm your magical radio DJ here to guide you on our next adventure. Today around the table, we sit down with Deaton from Tectonic Coffee. Deaton is one of my coffee mentors. I would not be where I'm at in coffee without him. Um, When I was working at a small cafe in Dana Point, we brought them on as a wholesale roaster, and I just got to sit and watch and learn from his expertise, his team's expertise, and not only just coffee expertise, but his audacity and willingness to take really big steps to create what he has envisioned in his mind. So I'm excited for you guys to hear a little bit of his story and hear some of those crazy journeys and and those crazy steps he's taken to be where he's at now. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Deaton. Do you remember specifically like your first coffee experience maybe not maybe not as tectonic as a company but you deaton first time you you had a cup of coffee that you're like wow one that sort of changed like changed my view of coffee or like my very first one because um, i kind of remember yeah, both. Give, give me both. <laughs> that's great well i mean i'm from a small town called orange in new south wales australia it's a population of around 30 to thirty-five thousand people uh, so pretty small in America's uh, standards. We, my mother used to always on a Sunday go to this cafe called Bad Manners Coffee uh, or Bad Manners Cafe, sorry. And uh, so, yeah, my, my very first experience was like as a young teenager, 13, 14, drinking well, well participating in mum's cappuccino. And we're talking like, 80s style cappuccino with mountain <laughs> a mountain of spooned on yep. foam and in Australia there's like chocolate powder on it so almost like a chocolatey coffee milkshake yes. <laughs> <laughs> I used to just help her eat eat the foam off the yeah. top of that yeah so that's kind of how um, you guys got the difference between a cappuccino and flat white correct because that yeah, exactly yeah. yes yeah. yes exactly so we we you know a lot of people didn't want to have the mountain of foam and chocolate on their coffee uh, which makes total sense so that gave birth to the flat white that was how you would order the flat white love that Um, so what about for you your first time where you had it and it just kind of changed and kind of set you on the trajectory that you're on now in australia i'd only ever only ever had espresso beverages you know i've been in coffee or working in coffee since i was 15 had always had a coffee job and so espresso beverages to me during that during those periods, uh, very early on in my career was just a means to an end, caffeine, get caffeinated. And, you know, that was kind of rightly or wrongly the way I viewed espresso, even as I was a a full-time barista trainer in Australia, it was like, it was always about the presentation, latte art, and, you know, and this is just how it was sort of back in the day. It wasn't hyper-focus on you know, espresso and TDS and the science back in the days. We're still learning, you know, we're still sort of finding our way through coffee as an industry. So it wasn't until I actually left Australia and went to, I I was a musician. I took a band to 
Dublin, Ireland, and we were we joined the singer songwriter circuit there. And I started working for a, roasting for a coffee company called Bewley's. And and weirdly enough, I had I guess my first good filter coffee at that okay. company. And I think, and I don't, you know, I almost don't want to say this. I think it was a Jamaican Blue Mountain <laughs> coffee, which is, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's overhyped. And it was at the time that it was like $100 yeah. a pound. And, and that was euro as well. It was 199 euros a oh, pound. Uh, and that was green. That was before we'd roasted yeah. it as well. So then we'd mark it up. And I and I probably brewed it all the wrong ways and it was in a French press and I tasted it and I, I couldn't believe how sweet and how chocolatey this particular coffee was. And all of a sudden, my whole worldview of coffee changed from just functional espresso, getting, drink it, get out, don't think yeah. about it, to what is what is this? You know, it was like walking through a door at a house party and opening up and there's this whole other <laughs> whole other scene in there that you're just like, what is this? And, you know, that really started my, my exploration into filter sure. coffee. From Ireland, what was your next kind of jump in the coffee world? Where did you go to next? Ireland, um, yeah. So we, around that time, uh, there's a lot of activity. Everyone was, uh, you know, starting to blog and, do all sorts of stuff like that online and so i started blogging and we started hearing about this company called intelligentsia coffee and this new way of buying coffee called direct trade a guy called matt riddle had won the u.s barista championships and was competing in the world and we were for some reason a friend of mine stephen morrissey and i dialed into matt riddle's performance and intelligentsia and direct trade. And we're like, what is this? This guy's working directly with the farmers. This is amazing until he's making all this noise. And so on a whim, I decided to book a flight to Chicago for a vacation. And really the, the sole purpose to meet Doug Zell, the CEO of intelligentsia and ask him for a yeah. job. <laughs> just, so just, I just yeah, did it. I love that. <laughs> uh, so I went over there and, met him and he he gave me a, a quick tour of the chicago roasting facility and you know the first initial meeting i was kind of d- disappointed about and bummed he was in a super big rush and i thought it wouldn't go past that but next thing you know he's put me in touch with kyle glanville and uh tony from you know of tonks.org fame i'm getting interviewed while i'm in ireland and uh next thing you know i'm getting my visa sponsored and I'm starting a roasting career and life in California, in Los Angeles, in 2007. Holy cow. Take me, so, yeah. take me back. So you going on vacation. How much, like, like, what were you feeling as you walked into Intelligentsia? You're about to meet CEO. Like, like what was going on in your head? Like, how much of this were you just like, I, I, I know what I'm bringing to the table. How much of it was like, I just really want to work for this cut. Like, like, where were you at with that? Take me through that feeling. Yeah, I think I was, I, I don't recall being overly nervous. I wouldn't say I eat, I like oozed confidence per se, but I was pretty, yeah, that's a good question. I think I was just, I think I was just doing it. You know, I just did it. This is what I wanted. 
and without really thinking through the real reality of it, like I'm going overseas and I'm asking some random CEO to give me a job, like without thinking through that, I kind of just did it. It was very impulsive. And it was it was how I'd spent the last three years in Ireland, just traveling and uh, and roasting coffee. And, and Ireland was all about spontaneity and, and just doing things on, on yeah. a whim. And so I, I didn't really think through it. You know, I, 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 maybe I was a little bit nervous meeting him because I do remember feeling let down, that a little bit let down in that initial tour with him because he, so, he was just so busy. And it, it probably ended up just being that's sort of how Doug Zell from uh, Intelli is. He's just this, you know, very uh, energetic, creative mind. So he just sort of ran, <laughs> ran yeah. through the process <laughs> with me and then walked out. So... But I, I, you know, and I, I, I don't know. But thinking when I tell the story I, and I see people's reactions, I'm just, I was like, yeah, that was pretty crazy, actually, yeah. that I did that. So then did you, did you start Tectonic straight off of the back of working at Intelligentsia or was there some, some time in between there? There was some time in between. So I spent about three years at Intelli, had a lot of growth, there you know i was under the wings of jeff watts uh one of the guys who was famed for helping the direct trade model get off the ground and then i I, when i'd go back to australia to visit family i would um i'd always take intelligentsia coffee back and filter coffee especially just be like guys you need to just stop brewing espresso and push filter coffee to a few different friends and Australia was still grappling with how to sort of change or introduce filter coffees um, sort of at that time you know it got I guess I sort of became friendly with a lot of the Australian companies that were coming over through LA and then going down to origin so yeah I ended up I, you know, I ended up, uh, he ended up asking me to work for him and help set up their New York um, locations and uh, their coffee program there. So that was in 2010. And once again, I just sort of packed my bags and <laughs> I did. They first, there was a, there was a, they sort of stalled in their um, build outs in uh, Brooklyn. So they sent me to Singapore and I went to Singapore for, a couple of months to help them uh, in the initial design phase of their uh, first Singapore, first sort of location in Asia, which was incredible as well. Singapore is an amazing country. So then I spent about four and a half years in Brooklyn once that happened, setting up, uh, helping set up Toby's there. We went from just me as their first hire to over 150 staff. That's awesome. Can you remember, so you spent four and a half years there. Do you remember the moment when you're like, I'm going to go start my own thing? Like, Yeah, no, I've always, uh, I've always thought I would own my own business at some point. My family, all my family are small business owners, operators. Growing up in a family where everyone owned their own business, it was always just, well, this is what you do. You leave school and you start your own business. And that's how you yeah. navigate life. It was always just a matter of time and when was I going to do it? And so I ended up meeting my my wife, Chelsea, in Brooklyn. Um, she's an actress uh, on, a Broadway actress 
can sing and dance like the best of them. She was like, well, I want to move to LA and try and do something in film and TV. And that was her goal when we first met. And as our relationship uh, was growing stronger, I was like, well, I'll just go to, yeah. back to LA and I'll come with you and start a business there. <laughs> I, it sounds like I, I see this common thread in your stories of you, you <laughs> get this big idea and, and whether it's you or, or you and your wife, but you, you get this idea and you just, you have the courage to take that next step. And it's, it's what, what a lot of people would stare at that idea and be like, oh, there's so much, there, there's so many logistics that I'd have to go through to make that happen. You're like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to eat the elephant one bite at a time and just take that next step, take that next step. And just do it. Yeah. I think, I think anyone wanting to start their own business or do anything like that, like big moves, I think like a healthy dose of, you know, being naive, a little bit of naivety <laughs> is probably yeah. good. Just, this, this could go really wrong, but I, I'm not seeing that far ahead. I'm just, I'm just going to take the next step. Yeah. You know, I really, you know, it sounds kind of weird to say that, but you, there's this, there is such thing as analysis yeah. paralysis. So if you like overanalyze something or you dive too deep into data or down the rabbit hole or whatever it is, you'll just either get locked in the, yeah. in that, in that process, or you'll talk yeah. yourself out of it. And I just think there's something said for having a dream getting an understanding of it at a high level and then just going yeah. in boots and all just jump yeah. into the deep end it's yeah. warm you know? <laughs> and if it's not you can just jump into a different pool right like yeah, yeah. just jump back I out love that. yeah as long as you're healthy you got your health and uh you know maybe someone that loves you and vice versa you what exactly. what do you got to lose man i i love that and i yeah. think a lot of our listeners are going to be really encouraged to hear that because that, that that's such a huge thing with with creating your own business or just being creative in general whether whether you're an artist or a musician or a, a business owner like you you have to have that willingness to take that push or otherwise you, you like you said you're you're paralyzed you're stuck and you know and it sounds like in every single jump that you've made it's been a learning experience like you you've used you've used this theme growth mm. and learning at each of these new spots. So you didn't have everything figured out when you took the jump, you just took the jump and then you, you learn the things that, that came up as they came up. Yeah. I mean, my father has an expression, you know, bite off more than you can chew and chew <laughs> like crazy. And uh, I, it's basically, you know, I guess I sort of took that without realizing it as a young kid and have done that, but I've always enjoyed the learning process when you're in the middle of it. And I think for me, like even to bring it back to coffee, like for me to really understand like coffee and processing at origin, I could have read all the books and all the textbooks, you know, out there and got a YouTube videos, whatever, and got an understanding, but it's not until you get there that you actually, that all the yeah. dots connect. You know, like when you're in the middle of it and you're learning from that experience, I think that's the, for me, that's the only way to do it. We'll be right back with my conversation with Deaton after a word from our sponsors. This podcast has been brought to you by Timber Coffee Group. To learn how they can help you make better coffee, go to www.timbrook.coffee. Again, that's www.timbrook.coffee. 
So tell me a little bit about what, what, how your life has changed in the last couple months and just going from primarily a, a wholesale roaster now to kind of doing more direct-to-home stuff. Yeah, I mean, changed dramatically, hasn't it, for everyone? <laughs> it's sort of hard to even know where to really start. Uh, I guess, what, are we in now week five of this or four? For California, I think we're in You're now. Probably five, right? You guys started. Yeah, week five. Yeah, I mean, we, so, yeah, I mean, Sunday, Sunday the 14th uh, was, you know, we were listening to uh, Meg Garcetti talk about a, a shelter-in-place mandate. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, happened to be texting one of our largest customers, you know, finding out what what's going to happen and sort of became very clear from his reactions that along with him the majority of our cafe customers would probably shut down and so i mean you know so we just finished a full day of production on sunday and the, the van was fully loaded with coffee uh, ready to go out monday morning and you know our driver hit multiple locations where they were just shut they didn't have a lot of a lot of our customers didn't for one reason or another at that early stage had thought to pivot and do to go yeah. or they, you know, they were trying, they thought about it and then they just didn't want to risk their staff's uh, health and safety. And so, yeah, our driver was hitting many locked doors. And so, <clears throat> you know, we finished, finished the day and we, we had scheduled and planned anyway to go up to San Jose to be with our family so that's like a six hour drive we sort of left around midday and we we're driving up and i was just you know in constant contact with all our customers and particularly the ones that our driver was saying they're, they're shut and just finding out trying to gauge what what was happening and and uh yeah the reality was uh over 60 percent of our customers decided to close down and you know shelter in place yeah. Yeah, and that so, was you said that was March fourteenth, March fifteenth, right? Like that's that was early March. Yeah, Garcetti put the I think I don't have a calendar in front of me, but I think it was Sunday the fourteenth yeah. on that night, and then on the fifteenth, yeah. the reality hit. I think it went in place midnight. Yeah. So we, you know, with that stark reality, we were sort of left wondering what what to do and how we were going to approach yeah. it. And, you know, all, all of a sudden we're up with family and, you know, all of our, all of Chelsea's immediate family uh, are all talking to us as well. We're all sort of in this family conversation and, and uh, everyone was um, talking about having to work from home. And we just thought, well, let's push our wholesale site yep. to our direct-to-consumer mm. site. We've had the two running back-to-back uh, -back ever since we launched Tectonic. So uh, we just sort of – it wasn't as easy as flipping a switch, right. but we flipped, a, flipped <laughs> the switch. It's and, not so easy and, when uh, you have to be the one poof. flipping the switch. It definitely takes some more work. <laughs> it was There was work involved oh, for sure. Right. And so, yeah, we, 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 we did the switch. 
Uh, I think the Tuesday we did a quick video for Instagram uh, and we pushed that out saying that we're doing wholesale prices for all. You know, now you can bunker down with good coffee at, at sort of our, you know, wholesale prices. And it just it just took yeah. off. Um, we had what we normally do in five months, we did in the following two days. That's so awesome. Um, online. It was a huge lifesaver. I mean, it's still, we were like 40, 45. It's now hovering around 40% to 45% of our entire business. Wow. Now. Uh, whereas before it was lucky to hit 5%. Um, so we didn't, uh, before this, we put almost, you know, we we did put some energy into direct consumer, sure. but, uh, you know, primarily our our business was wholesale. That's what we do. It's what we know. <laughs> and so it's been a very big learning curve uh, for us. But the, the, the positive for the business sake, our, we've actually been able to even though our total revenues are down we've, we've actually been able to maintain a pretty good staffing level we've reduced the hours d- during the week you know for some of the staff uh, but primarily because we're handling instead of handling bulk coffee and we're throwing out you know thousands of yep. pounds into bulk bags we're now doing we're now doing hundreds right. of small packages. right which takes a little bit more time so, <laughs> It takes a lot yeah. more time. So our production day has somehow managed to stay the same in the sense that we're there for 11 to 12 hours on that day. And, and you know, maybe maybe for some background, we, we were roast out of a, a co-op. So we have one day to get in, roast all our product and get out. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's primarily stayed the same. I mean, we're, our roasting volumes are down by 60 to 70%, but our because it's so many small packages our labor is you know on that day just that day it's equalized a little bit almost the same yeah it stayed almost the same so we've been able to keep staff on uh we haven't had to follow anyone uh and if someone misses a shift one week they uh they pick it up the next man that's super encouraging you guys have been able to kind of you call it a flip the switch, which on your end takes a lot more work than just flipping the light switch. But that has been able to care for your guys' employees substantially because I, I, I think probably 50% of the people that I talk to have been furloughed in, in some degree. So, I mean, just super sweet that you guys mm-hmm. as a business have been able to care for your employees in that way. So that's really, that's encouraging. All right. So go, pivoting back to coffee yeah. and tectonic, what do you think is your guys' most important part of your business? Yeah, the important important part. I mean, you know, I have to enjoy the coffee that I'm doing, you know, and that I'm presenting and roasting, buying and roasting. So, of course, there's that. That sort of goes uh, without saying. Geez, that's a good that's a good question. The most important part. I mean, I think relationships. Uh, it, the industry is a very it's a very heartfelt industry in a lot of respects, in the sense that we have opportunities to create long-lasting sustained relationships all the way through the supply chain so from the producers at origin to the exporters from that country or that town to importers to uh, our staff to our customers and and even their customers and the customers at home like yeah i think i think uh, the relationships are a very part a big part of it and we we 
try and and now that we've pivoted to sort of direct to consumer and we've had to really force that we're we're trying to convey that through like just you know putting a little bit of our lives out in the forefront on social media which we hadn't done before um and so we're just sort of you know just trying to show people yeah who we yeah, are you're I guess. you're normal people you know working to make it work Uh, that's that's what makes it beautiful is it's not it's not some unattainable height you just you've taken those jumps you've learned those things and you've taken what you've learned and and you've you've created something um so tell me a little bit about kind of how you guys buy coffee i think i think that's one of my favorite aspects of of the coffee world is so many companies now are hyper aware, I would say, of fair trade, um, all, all these all these buzzwords in our community. Can you kind of go into your guys' relationship with farmers and, and, and how you guys buy coffee um, and why that's important? Yeah, I mean, it's first and foremost, like it's it starts with what's on the cupping table and in front of us when we're actually tasting the, the coffee to, to buy. Um, and we can start there uh, even before the, even before we bring relationships into uh, the picture. And so for us, when we're buying, or for me, when I'm buying coffees, I have to, it has to exhibit uh, a lot of inherent sweetness in the cup. And sweetness to me is paramount over everything else. Once we find coffees that are sweet, we can think about the other attributes, the acidity, the tasting notes and whatever. Is it clean? Uh, and defect free and that sort of thing when a coffee is 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 sweet we can as roasters as well depending on uh, we can push that coffee into different channels of what we how we imagine the coffee is going to be brewed and taste so if we want to accentuate the acidity of a really sweet coffee because it's floral and whatever we know we can push it that way for the road during the roasting process um if we want to taper the acidity off and, and, and round it off and have it as, as espresso, yeah. we can push it that way uh, during the roast. And so once we find that coffee on that table, we can then even, we can connect the dots back to origin. And that's, you know, that would be how you would start it if you had like no, if you're starting from zero, right? I had, you know, working with Intelligentsia and the roasting company Buley's out of Ireland, I had opportunities to meet farmers and producers uh, and Toby's um, through yeah. uh, work. Um, and so luckily or thankfully, um, I was able to start the business with a lot of connections throughout the supply chain anyway. So that gave us a really sure. big sort of head start. But yeah, I mean, primarily our... Our overarching goal is to move all our coffees into a direct trade model. So that means me, you know, going down to the producer, starting a relationship, seeing how they work, learning from them. Really, they, you know, I don't, I'm never going to say that I'm going to go down there and teach them stuff. You know, that was a very old sort of old school way of thinking. Oh, yes, I'll go down there and I'll teach them how to produce great coffee that it's not really the case i mean they know what they're doing they've more often than not they're generations mm. into producing coffee they're highly educated and i go down and learn from them see what they're doing I have the luxury of coming back and uh 
taking their interpretation of the the coffee that they've produced mm-hmm. and putting my interpretation on it. Um, that's awesome. Which is cool. yeah, I think if if I can brag on you a little bit, I mean that's a huge like a huge part of even my journey in coffee is is when we brought you guys on as a wholesaler, having that relationship with you, like I learned so much about what it means to care for people, what it means to care about the industry and just like how you guys cared for our small little cafe in Dana Point set me on the trajectory that now I'm able to do what I'm doing now. And even just your guys' belief in me to be able to do, like to start Timber, like you have been a huge mentor for me in that way. You know, like, you you have yeah. been learning and growing from from these coffee giants like i look to you as that coffee giant just just so i can brag on you a little bit because i think you're and, and and you carry yourself in such a humble way where you're always learning regardless of who you're who you're sitting with um and so i've i've really appreciated that about you and i've it, it's altered yeah. my course for sure um so thank you oh, thank you for saying that yeah i really that really touching that's um, great thank you very much yeah so so last yeah. last little question i want you to be able to plug um for for the listeners here if, if they wanted to get coffee from you you guys are doing direct to consumer stuff now what's the easiest way that people can get tectonic coffee at their doorstep the easiest way i mean now it, it's more you know accessible than ever um yeah just come to tectoniccoffee.com uh our wholesale prices are front and center it, it, you know, it doesn't include shipping, but, you know, once you throw three, four or five dollars on for shipping, it's still super competitive at, uh, comparatively to, um, you know, what's out there right now. Uh, we just, you know, when you come and visit us and you buy a, a cup of coffee, you're not, you're not only supporting myself and my wife and our business, but you're supporting our staff. And also uh, the farmers uh, that we work with, you know, it's important that we are still able to sell their coffee and well, buy their coffee and sell it. You know, they need their income as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it couldn't <laughs> be easier that. at the moment. Sweet. Yeah. So, guys, uh, this has been <laughs> yeah. really fun. Thank you for sharing your story. It's, I think it'll be really inspiring for people to just kind of hear how you've, how you've taken some pretty big leaps Um and and have taken those opportunities to grow i think that'll be really inspiring for people who may be just right on the cusp of taking that leap um to create something and just give them that push um to go and and make something so thank you for for sharing and yeah yeah, no hopefully thank you once everything kind of cools down i'll get to come out and hang out and drink a cup of coffee together not yeah let's do it Um, thanks mate what an incredibly fun conversation with Deaton. I think my favorite part of his story um, is the cappuccino experience with his mom. And um, yeah, it's it's a, a hot debate in the coffee world, how we got the flat white. So now you guys have heard Deaton's version of how we came to create the flat white. Well, guys, this has been a, another episode of the Curator's Cup podcast. Uh, we will see you next Tuesday at 8 a.m. I'm really excited um, to share more stories. So if you like what you hear uh please subscribe uh write us a review um, and let us know what you think music for this season of the curator's cup podcast is brought to you by whitaker to listen to more of their work go to spotify itunes or anywhere music is sold and search whitaker or go to their website at whitakerband.com thanks for listening to this episode of the curator's cup podcast to support this podcast go to www.timbrook.group and click support 
or email them at support at tenbrook.group.